All right, you guys, um, uh, this chapter that we're in, we're going to get through the, through the entire chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If you're new, this is, uh, we're jumping in, uh, we're, you're jumping right in the middle of a series as we walk through the book of Ecclesiastes. And this was uh, written by a guy uh, named the, the, the Koheleth, was, uh, is the Hebrew term, which means teacher or preacher. Um, others have said this is basically a philosophy professor who he get, actually will stir up more questions than he does answers. And uh, we believe, like most, in, most ancient scholars, most scholars from now through uh, uh, going back uh, even among the Jews um, before Christianity, that it was Solomon. Uh, it was King Solomon in his later days that, that wrote this. So today, this chapter, he's going to give some parables. Um, he's going to give some, some proverbs. He's going to talk about the oppressed poor. He's going to talk about the lazy rich. Um, uh, he's going to talk about the, the fools. And uh, so we want to just kind of listen in. It's, it's gonna, some of it's going to sound pretty proverbish, uh, and you'll be able to see, okay, this, this sounds like the dude who wrote Proverbs, and you'll see why. So Ecclesiastes uh, 4, starting in verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. To comfort them. And so, all right, so he is reflecting and he's seeing all the, the oppression that goes on in, in the world. And, uh, you know, you see the, the villainization of, of one another. Um, you, you see just the way that people abuse one another. You see how, uh, and, and that can happen from strong to strong, but most of the time it happens from strong to weak. And so it's, it's even worse to look at because you see people that are helpless, people that are wounded, and they're being, they're being oppressed. Um, and, and he's just reflecting on the, the sad fact that there are a lot of oppressors that have power. And there's no solution that's, that's given here in this portion here, just stating the facts um, that there is oppression. And he's asking for there to be, to, I mean, recognize that there's no comfort. And so it, it begs the question, when oppression takes place, and just naturally speaking, there's no justice or there's no comfort, then there needs to be. There needs to be something. There needs to be someone. There needs to be some God that would intervene and, and, and bring justice or bring comfort or bring both. Let's go to verse 2. And I thought the dead who were already dead were more fortunate than the living who were still alive. But better than both is he who has not been and has not seen the evil deeds that are being done under the sun. All right? And so he's talking about the bookends of, of life. All right? You've got birth and you've got death. And he is he's pointing out how horrible this world is. And we in America, and, and some people may listen to this podcast from a different country, but I know we in America are, are very spoiled and it's easy for us to actually stick our heads in the sand and to not see the oppression that take, takes place. However, the news media, um, and it's got its faults, but one of the things it does is it will continually remind you of, of uh, the horrible deeds that are done uh, around the world. And, uh, of course, it puts you in a, a conundrum. It's like, okay, what do I, what do, I do with this? What, what do I do? First of all is, is we, must, we need to see it, and then we need to say, what, what do I do with this? But he's, he's just pointing this out. He says, look, this world, is, it's ugly. It is that broken. Uh, and, and he says, look, 
it's, it's better for those that have even gone on because they don't, they don't have to live in this brokenness before. And he, he's even saying, even those that aren't even born yet, it's, it's good for them because they haven't gotten immersed in it. Now, I want to I be honest with you. There are some advocates of, of abortion, and I am not an advocate of abortion. I am, I'm staunchly against abortion um, and the taking of life before, uh, before birth. Uh, and there's some advocates, they'll point to this verse and say, now look there, see the Bible even says, better is the one who hadn't been born and hadn't seen the evil deeds. So, so surely it's better for some, for them to not even exist, for, their, for you to cease their life before they even come into this world, to come into this broken world. I've actually heard this among, ex- among f- friends and extended family members to where they're just like, you know, there's, there's some people that they're, their situations are so bad that it's actually mercy to go ahead and to, and to take that child's life while they're still in, in the mother's womb. You wouldn't want them to be, to be born into this family and the brokenness that's there. And, and the unfortunate thing about that is that's when humans start to play the role of God to where they say, well, I will be the one who decides who should, who should live or, or who should die. And that is never our place. It's never our place. Um, so it is not, it's not what Solomon is saying here. Uh, in, in fact, uh, he even says in here, better is he who has not yet been been. And so the, the, uh, the inclination or the arrow that's being pointed is, is they're going to be born. They're going to be born. They're going to be born in this brokenness. It's, it's, a, it's a rest time right now. They don't get to see it yet, but they're going to. And so, and so if anything, it's saying even in the middle of, of the brokenness, there should be life because the life is a blessing. And we know that, that uh, many people, they're the ones that bring answers to the brokenness and to the, to the justice. I don't remember her name, but um, uh, years ago, uh, I, was, I was a pastor at, at Willowbrook, one of them, and uh, we had a, uh, a lady come in who, uh, um, she, was, she survived an abortion uh, and um, had some severe physical uh, uh, deformities as a result of it. And yet she goes around, she goes to churches, she goes to schools, she goes all, all around just saying, look, man, I, I, was, I was supposed to be one of these that was not chosen and not loved and was not going to bring be brought into this world, and yet God loved me so much, he, he actually overcame some of the things of my abortion, and, and, and I lived. And uh, it's, it's vital that we look and just say, you know what, every person that we look and see, that rather than we come and try to, try to get a judgment in our mind of like whether that person should live or die, or whether they're, you know, uh, whether they deserve this or deserve that, to look and to say, you know what, you're a person that God has made, and I just believe Jesus died for you and loves you, and come to Jesus. Every person that we see, no matter how good they look, no matter how broken they are, and the Bible is replete with examples of people that, that looks like they were pretty good even in their early days, even though we know they're, they're wicked and, and, and rebelled against God too, but they look pretty good on the surface. And then you got people just horrible, people that are murderers and thieves that God came down. And they weren't searching for God, but God and it was so grateful. God was searching for them, and he came and he saved them. And that's the way we need to look. We need to look at everybody. I, I, tr- I look at everybody, and I think of them. They're either a disciple or they're a pre-disciple. I look at everybody, and it's like, man, God loves you. God, uh, God died for you. Come to Jesus. That's my job. 
That's my job is to proclaim it to every person that's out there and just to believe that God, he can come in, he can change any person's heart. And even when people are born or are going to be birthed into a horrible situation, just to believe it's like, God, there's something that, that you can do. And just to ask God, what am I supposed to do to be a part of it? And so we see again, I mean, we see over and over, we see the human condition. He's bringing it to the conversation. And, and so don't miss this. Don't miss that Solomon over and over is saying, you're broken in need of a Savior. You're broken in need of a Savior. You're broken and in need of a Savior. Verse 4. Then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. All right? So he starts to break down into some, some Proverbs. At, at this point, he starts talking about, about how uh, uh, he builds a bridge. We've talked about uh, oppression, and oppression, oppression, obviously, it destroys relationships. It's so easy to see that when you see somebody that outwardly, you know, they're coming against people, and they're bringing, they're bringing destruction into their lives. But he's, he's saying, but now look, there's another place that will destroy your life and destroy those that you're in relationship with, and it's envy. That as you look at others and what, what they have, and uh, we, we know this, know that um, envy, is, envy is something that uh, when, when you say, I'm lacking in something and somebody else has it, then you say, I will be better. I will, be, I will approve myself more. God will approve me more. Others will approve me more if I have what they, what they have. It can even take an even worse turn to where you say, not only do I want the same type of thing that you have, to where you say, I don't want you to have it. I want it. And so it's like, I, I want to I take away what you have so that I have it, and you're then less. I'm, I'm greater, and you're lesser in the balance scales. That, that this is what happens. And, and uh, I mean, keeping up with the Joneses is what we call it, but it's not, just about, it's not just about the car or the house, you know, but many times it's about, it's about the relationships. I mean, I remember one of my greatest places of, of envy back in high school, the girl that I was in love with, and she was not in love with me. And she had, some other, she had some other boyfriends along the way. And, and, and she was a friend of mine. But I, I just, I had the hardest time because she, she picked such losers. And isn't that always the case? It's like, man, they're just, they, there's no way that they should be dating that person. You know? And it's like, but me, I qualify, right? And, and so that was certainly a case of envy. Of, of, of Not only did I, I wanted to be, be that girl's boyfriend, I definitely didn't want her dating the loser, and, and, and I definitely can think of a, a big loser she was, she was dating. I'll tell you his name. I won't tell you his name. Um, but, uh, but again, it's, it gets insidious to where you, you will inject yourself in a place that you should not be to try to take away uh, from something. And, and, and this, is, this is not something just, uh, um, just for the poor. Uh, this is something the, the rich struggle with just as much. It's not about how much you have, but it's about what a person has. And, and it, may be, it may be a relationship. It may be a job uh, or assignment or maybe a title. It could just be power and authority that we see in somebody else's life. It's like, man, man I, that guy does not deserve that. And, and then 
Many people, it's called the death of a thousand cuts. Is they don't come right out and, and try to take somebody down in, in one fell swoop. But man, they'll just kind of cut them here and cut them there and just, you know, just kind of throw a little snide comment out right here or throw out a little thing of like, you know, you can't really trust that person's, uh, you know, I hear, they're, I hear they've fall, fallen off the wagon and, you know, man, I hear their, their marriage is on the rocks and, you know, I mean, you, just th- you start throwing out these things, you just a cut, a cut, a cut, a cut, and finally a person bleeds out socially, relationally because cause you've cut, you've cut them and, and because of that envy. Verse 6 um, really talks, I think, about one of the, the answers to the, our frustration of both injustice or our sin of jealousy, our sin of envy that we have. It's contentment. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands of toil or, or striving after the wind. Um, uh, the Apologetic Study Bible says this. It says, The Proverbs are, are set side by side to force the reader to consider the folly both of laziness and of working to exhaustion. So look at those two there. Verse 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. All right, it's not as cannibalistic as it sounds. What it's talking about is, is it's just he's painting the picture of somebody that they, they are so lazy that they won't even get up from the kitchen table to go to the uh, fridge to get themselves something to eat that they eventually just start eating their own fingers, all right? Obviously, nobody really does this, but you can think of people, you've met people, or maybe someone in your extended family, um, and it may even be you, that, that man, I mean, it's just, you just don't like to work. You don't, you don't like to do things for yourself. And, and, and we're going to come back to this at the end, because I'm asking the Lord in my life and in your life for Him to really show us where we need to change. But... One of the things, I think one of the, the, the reasons why someone is lazy is because what they're seeking, an idol in their life is, I'm approved if people serve me. I'm approved, I'm okay if people will do things for me, then I matter. I matter to them. They go out of their way to do things for them. And so you've got to ask yourself, okay, how does the gospel deal with that? With someone who they're just in their heart, in their mind, they're lazy. Now, I, I look around, I don't see anybody in here that I'd, that I imagine is, is lazy, at least not at the core. I mean, I, I think we're all lazy at certain times of the week, and, and uh, we all like to just totally chill, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone that at their core, they, don't, they won't work. At their core, they, they expect things to be done for them instead of, instead of them adding value. They're always taking from somebody. And I And I I want you to know that if we believe the gospel, if we believe that Jesus has said, you are completely approved because of my death. If we believe that the Father, the King of the universe, looks at us and says, you who are Christians, and your, your debt has been wiped away because of the blood of Jesus, and I fully approve you. In fact, I look to him as being as wicked as you, but I look at you as being as righteous as Jesus. If we know that, then we don't have, we don't have to, to, to go someplace else or do something else, set ourselves in a, an environment where we think, if people do things for me, then I matter. Rather, you look and say, God, I matter to you, so therefore I can add value to others. It is a laziness killer is what the gospel is. It will kill it. If you really believe the gospel, you don't have to go somewhere else um, for your approval. Um, but the other one, though, it, it, it takes the contrast because there's a few who are going to be lazy. 
and just are not, they're not going to press forward in their lives. But many more, especially in America, especially in Western civilization, that they're workaholics. Verse 6, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Two hands full of toil is the, the ones who just, they're working, 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 and, and, and there's an idol there themselves. It's like, if I do enough, if I accomplish enough, if I get enough, then I will matter. I'll matter to God. You know, uh, it, it, within marriage many times, or even uh, it, within, within boyfriend-girlfriend relationships to where you're leaning upon one another financially, you know, it's like, if I provide a good enough income, if, I, if I'm able, if, okay, if I can finally upgrade her from that 88 Accord, you know, to 95 Accord, you know, or a brand new Accord, then she'll respond to me better. She'll, she'll love me more. If I do these things, it's always conditional. It's if I do these things, if, if I do it, then I'm going to be okay. Then they're going to say that I'm okay. Or then I'm going to think that I'm okay. And so we do. We work and work and work and work. And work's important. Work's vital. I mean, God told us we should work six days and rest one. Now here in America, many people, they, they get five days that they work and then maybe have a couple days off. How do, you, how do you make sense of all that? Well, I just think that, that what it is, I mean, you're, you know, it's not that there's two Sundays or two Saturdays a week um, uh, to just rest and, and play. I mean, there, God gives, it, uh, gives us opportunity to where we can, we can worship, but we can also rest. And, and there's time enough for us to take care of family and take care of all the other things. Uh, if you've if you got the five days, some folks have the four, four tens, the three twelves. Um, but for us to, to work hard is important but not to turn it into, into our God. Not to turn it into a thing that say, as long as I work for you, work, you're going to bless me because you're my God. That's what we do. We turn everything in, into a God. Proverbs 24, 33-34 talks about uh, the laziness to the extreme. It said, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Contrast that to to again, uh, working too hard, Psalm 127, verse 2. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now see, I, in, my, in my younger years, I, I looked more like Proverbs 24, just the, the lazy dude, but I, I know in my later days, man, it's more this other thing, man. I mean... Those of y'all, you're burning, burning the candle at both ends. And, and, uh, and, but it's, it's more than that. I mean, there's certainly, there's seasons in life that you've got to work. You've got to work a ton of hours. And, uh, and that's okay. Uh, it's okay to do that in, in seasons. It's okay to sprint for a while. But, but you know you can't sprint a marathon. I mean, you can sprint and then walk and sprint. That's how people, some people run long distances rather than just the steady pace. That's okay. You can do that. But you can't sprint the whole way or you will die and so, in the same way, we, we, must, we must have times of, of rest uh, in our lives. Some, some of y'all just throw, throwing this out. Some of y'all need a good sprint to get out of debt, or at least to take care of uh, some good debt. Take on a second job, or start a, a business on the side, and, and for a short season, you work really hard, and, and you get out of the shackles of, of debt that maybe you're, maybe you're under. And, and it's good, but... Even in that, even if you're in a sprint season, you should not be anxious. Even if you're in a sprint season, you should be able to, you should be able to sleep. 
See, if you're burning at both ends and you're working really hard and, man, you can't even sleep, it's that your God is in the wrong place. So you're looking and just saying, all right, if I will work hard enough, if I can get this paid off, if I can, make, if I can do this, if I can get this extra money, I will be okay. You have traded God for an, another idol. So break the idol today. Break the idol. If you need to work hard for a while, I mean, work extra for a while. But God, even in those times, will give you good sleep. And, and some of y'all, y'all need, you need to talk about that stuff within your journey groups, your, your missional communities, uh, if just among friends. I mean, if you need to talk with me, let's grab coffee. And let's, let's talk about it. Uh, or if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you're just like, you know what, I, I just can't get over this uh, laziness, you know. Um, let's talk. Verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an an unhappy business. Okay, so now he describes a little bit more. Um, He gives two pictures. He he actually paints the picture of the way a lot of Americans are, of, of they're making a living rather than making a life, spending so much time trying to accumulate or consume, um, but past that, he's also he's mentioning someone who he doesn't have someone else to share life with. And so even in the pursuit of whether it's power, um, I mean, because it's not all about consuming uh, or, what, or the materials that you can get, the house or the, the car, uh, but many times it's for the name. It's for the fame that you get, the renown within your organization or within your tribe that you're in. You work really hard uh, and uh, you deprive yourself um, and especially when you when you're, don't have community, it just makes, makes a huge difference. And again, this is not just for the rich that do this, but the poor as well. A pursuit of happiness through the pursuit of things or power. Uh, or, or even this is, is sometimes we pursue getting all these things for the idol of security or safety. That we think, well, if I can just get here, if I can just get that goal, if I can just get that job promotion, if I can just get that degree, whatever it is, then I will be safe. Then I'll be secure. Then my family is going to be okay. And, and we won't have all the problems. And, and once again, it just means that we're looking at that as a small God. It's like, okay, if I feed this God enough, He's going he's to help me. But... If God is your meaning, then you can truly enjoy life in this broken world. Do you hear me? If God is your meaning, you can enjoy life. We talked about that the whole, the whole uh, message last time. We can enjoy our life. Now, he tells us uh, another key to the enjoyment of life, which is community. Taking uh, even this example of this person uh, that didn't have someone else to share life uh, with. Uh, and that's not just talking about marriage. But, uh, which certainly will qualify, but, uh, but community in general. So let's look at this. Just one of, the, one, of the, um, one of the neatest passages and portions of Scripture right here. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can, keep, how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay? So uh, this, this talks about community in general, 
but it talks about discipleship and intimacy uh, to be specific. And just look at the way they're described. Verse 10, if one falls, the other helps them up. Um, you know, I just think of, uh, I mean, they're, they're with, we got, a, we got a good group of folks that are out camping just enjoying the Lord and enjoying one another uh, this weekend. And, and uh, Marty and Katie Calvert are uh, one of the couples that are they're out. And um, they were, they're in one of the neighborhoods devastated by the tornado earlier this year to where a lot of their neighbors lost their homes. And not only were they a part of just, just the generic help uh, when it came, but they actually invited some of their neighbors to come and to live with them, to come and stay with them. I know that even just recently, in the last few weeks, again, they've invited some to say, you know what, I mean, you or your kids, I mean, you know, what, whatever you need, you come, come and live with us. And it's like, it's like hey, I mean, you're, you're my neighbor. Now, I don't know whether these people are Christians or not, and I guarantee you this, it doesn't matter to Marty and Katie. They just are loving their neighbor, and they're just saying, you know what, you guys are, you guys are in, a, in, a, in a tough place. Here's my hand. You know? It's up to them whether they take the hand or not, but it's up to us whether we offer the hand. And so that's, that's one of the ways I want to challenge you is that you're always, you're always offering the hand out uh, to, to people. You're always saying, hey, you know, is, is there any way that I can serve you? Is there, how can I... How can I help you? You know, if, if well, you know that they're in a, in a tough place, in a tight place. And then if they, if they say no, if they say no thanks, it's okay. You did not fail. You would have failed if you'd not offer. It's the offer. Just like, just like within Christianity, being a good Christian is not about how many conversions have taken place as a result of you, but it certainly, there's good metrics of how many conversations that you've had where you've invited people to Jesus. That's the key. How many people have you just said, man, come to Jesus? Don't worry about, don't worry, I mean, pray, and we want to see tons of conversions. But the key is just to look at somebody and just say, man, Jesus, I need Jesus, and so do you. Man, come, come to Jesus. Come. And, and same, same way, getting back to our neighbor, just offering our hand out in compassion. So one falls, the other helps them up. Verse 11, though, talks about if one is cold, the other warms them up. And, and this is quite the picture. And, and you can see this in a lot of the, the survival shows, uh, uh, the kids and I were watching uh, Man, Woman, Wild uh, on Netflix the other day, and it's kind of like Bear Grylls, uh, you know, but it's a, a husband and a wife that they go out in the wilderness. Who, who's seen this? Anybody? All right, a few guys. And a great show because you, not just, you don't just have a stud out there that man just can, you know, can eat rocks and survive for a month, right? But you got, you got the dynamics of a husband and a wife, and, it's not, and they're not just all chummy together. It's not just like, oh, isn't this great, honey? This is wonderful. I get to eat a grub worm, you know? It's real, and the, and the, the wife's having some tough times, and sometimes the husband's having tough tr- times, and he tries to go out and, and hunt something, and he fails. He fails in providing for his wife, and they're not, they're not going to eat for a day as a result because he didn't hit the rabbit with a rock, you know? And, but, but then at nighttime, you know, and it's cold, and what do they do? They don't stay apart. They get close together. And they, they keep each other warm. They protect one another. And it's just a beautiful picture of what, of what humanity really should be, is that this is a cold world that we're in. And, and the worst thing to do when you're out in the middle of the cold is to be isolated. But in a, in a cold climate, man, you come together. You, you, bring, you bring your warmth together, and, and you, you're able to, to love one another. And that's just, do you know why? Do you know why God does that? I think, I think one of the, 
main reason God does that is that that points to Jesus. How does that point to Jesus? Because God saw a cold, broken world, and he says, you're never going to warm up, so I'm coming to you, and I'm bringing the heat and the fire of who I am to you. Now warm your soul. That's what he's done. What a great God. Verse 12 uh, says, if one is attacked, the other defends. And this is key, and, and especially even within community. Um, I mean, uh, we read a few weeks ago, just uh, within the Psalms, of the things that says God, God hates, or Proverbs, I don't remember, uh, but the things that God hates. And almost all of them had to do with how, how those in relationship get divided by one another. And dissension and gossip and malice and slander and, and God just, he hates that. He hates when those that are close get pulled apart and they become isolated and there's wedges that are within them. Whether you're doing that to one another or whether somebody comes in and drives a wedge between you. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to be careful because the, the people who do those things, whether they're all of their life they're a wolf or whether for a moment they're acting like a wolf, to be able to cry wolf and say no. We're not going to stand by and just, just see somebody tear apart one another. But we're going to, we're going to get back to back to one another. And, 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 we're, and we know even then that we're attacking wolves, which many times are people, to have compassion to be able to say, but God, we know the real enemy isn't even them. But we defend one another we, when we're attacked. And it just, it's cyclical. It's, I mean, I think it's like one falls, you help each other up, and then you walk. And then one gets kind of cold and you warm one another up. And then one of you gets attacked and the other defends. And, and then one falls and then you get up. And I mean, it's just over and over. This is, this is the life of community. This is the life of, of, of family the way it's supposed to be. It's just over and over. These things are going to happen. And we're just there for one another. God help us to be there for one another. We need each other. Now, this, again, just talks about community generally speaking. And you can, I mean, you can... You can fill in the blanks there and just see how it connects the dots to this is the way church is supposed to be. But you can't be really tight with everybody. And that's the reason why it talks about at the end, though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. So in community, we need each other. You need people. But specifically, you need a few people to be close with. And and I love the concept of, of threes, and, and, and a, a term for that is triads. When I was in uh, Virginia and, and getting ready to come uh, to uh, come uh, come to Huntsville, one of the things in my heart my heart was God. I I I just seen how pastors, you know, um, they're they're like they're so isolated and they're just on their own little, in their own little kingdoms uh, so much and and. Uh, uh, many times that's not because they don't like one another. It's just, it's just weary and, and just, there's a way more that you, you can do just in your own kingdom. But I, I said, God, I, I don't want competition and I need other pastors in my life. So I knew when I came here, I wanted to be a part of developing something that, that where pastors across denominational lines that we got together and we prayed for the city and that we would help one another, befriend one another. And what's great was, is that wasn't just my idea. God was already pl planning that in the hearts of some other pastors. As I came in, I slipped right in, you know, and some guys who were dreaming together, and we ended up forming a thing called the Pastor's Prayer Summit. And for years was, uh, uh, and, and I mean, this group still meets together in prayer, but, uh, but there were some beginning years that some relationships were developed that we would, we'd gather monthly for prayer, 
but then we'd gather weekly in triads. So three of us, we'd come together and we'd pray for one another. And man, it was, it was huge and it was very formative and, and helpful to me in thinking through the future, even as I'm going to start a church someday to make sure that I don't do it alone, that I've got other men in my, in my life. And, and God bless, and I still am tight with uh, the men for, from those uh, early relationships, from those triads. And so here's the deal. Like Sojourn Church, man, we need to be large, we need to be small, and we need to be close. And, and here, in, in, and I know, you know, here on Sunday mornings, each service, 40 to 50 people, and there's, you know, 20 kids and other adults upstairs, stuff like that. But, so, but even among 50 people, you know, you can't be tight with everybody. And so we, we, we thank God he gives us opportunity that we can, be, we can be large and we can love each other. But the reason why we have these journey groups is, first of all, because it's biblical and we see it in Acts 2 and others of gathering in homes and loving each other and serving each other. But God's dynamics with that is, is that it takes it to a new level with your small group of people that you can get to know. And you don't, you don't agree with everybody. You don't know everybody. You're not, you don't come from the same backgrounds. You don't see everything the same. But, man, you, you, you press in, and that's a part of the point is it's, there's comfort sometimes and there's discomfort sometimes, and God works in there. But there's the deeper level than that where hopefully a few men or a few women, they, they get together in and, and, and smaller groups, and, and just, it just the net closes in and the intimacy uh, comes closer. And it's, it's, it's like that whole thing of if, one colds, if one's cold, the other warms them up. It's like close proximity. Just, it's like a fire that ignites among one another. And so I challenge you. To think through, okay, how are you being faithful at the large, at the small, and even at the intimate level? And, and maybe some of you guys in, in, uh, um, in, in your groups, you might take a look at, okay, what, what if we have like, you know, threes of us get together, you know? It's not magic number, it doesn't have to be three, um, but it's certainly there's strength in three that's different from one, it's even different than two. Uh, certainly three um, brings in some... Um, some potency. Now finally, um, he gives us a parable. Verse 13, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw the living who, I saw the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people of all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after the wind. Now, as, as we get to a place just about, about to close down, the, uh, the point of this is there was a contrast that took place between uh, an old and foolish king, one that he had just got to the place like, you know what, I don't need to learn anymore. I don't need to be open to other people anymore, and you got this young king, young one, youth that's going to become a king who he loves to learn and loves people, and what a difference that he made once that, once that he was put into a place of leadership, and, and you can, you have those seasons in life that, man, I mean, you're, you're hitting on all the cylinders in your life, and man, it's unbelievable the, the effectiveness and efficiency that goes, goes on in your place, but, but but Solomon, in his oldness and his, his, uh, uh, his wisdom, he looks and says, but now let me just tell you the rest of the story, that even among good leaders, you get to a place where the honeymoon's over and people don't want to follow you and, and people go do their own thing and, and, and you just get frustrated 
uh, when that time comes, and, and, and he just, he, at the end of this little part, he just kind of says, it's like, it's like chasing the wind. So what's the point? I mean, the, part of the point is, is that there are days in which there's huge effectiveness and efficiency in your life. And man, I mean, you, you don't have a lot of things coming against you. And, and I just say, when that happens in your life, in your family, in your job, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, is, man, make hay while the sun's shining. Because it's not going to shine all the time. And it's not even that you're going to be the stupid one that makes a big mistake, although you're going to. But there's going to be a time in which you still do the right thing. And then it just, there's no more effectiveness. There's no more efficiency. It's just the seasons have changed. It's life in a broken world. So what is the point behind all of that? Don't make those things your idols. Don't make effectiveness your idol. Don't make efficiency be your idol. Don't make, make hard work your idol. Work hard. Be effective. Be efficient. But if you're looking for your meaning in any of those things, just listen to Solomon. He's saying, you're not going to find your meaning there. You're not. So you look at the lazy guy and talked about how it's an idol that we're, we're looking for others to serve us. And the gospel comes against that. The gospel says, no, if I've said you're okay, you don't have to have others serving you or doing things for you for you to be all right because I've already declared it. The workaholics, we're not okay unless we're doing more, accomplishing more. You know what the gospel says? Jesus, the Father says, I have fully accepted you because of the blood of Christ. You don't have to do more to be accepted by me, to be accepted by others, or even to accept yourself. My acceptance is good enough. And even envy, the big thing that, that pushed us, a lot of people, uh, in, in the directions of, of, of sinfulness. Um, first of all, is ask you a question. Can, when you look at others and they're winning, if you want to use that term, can you celebrate it? Can you celebrate when others are winning and you're not? And can you look and say, God... If you said I'm okay, whether I get what they get, or if I get that achievement, if I get that raise, if I get that new position, if you've said I'm completely okay, then that is good enough for me. Now, where in there is it that God's speaking to you and He's saying this is, this is for you? This is what you need. This is an idol in your life. This is where you're going for meaning somewhere else. And He's saying it's found in me. It's found in me. Um, we're going to have communion in just a second after I after I, I pray, and the, the band is going to lead us, um, and uh, um, just challenge you that you, you take a few moments before you go and take, take communion, and just ask God to reveal to you, man, is there, is there an idol right now that you're, you're bowing before? Is, is there laziness? Is there workaholic? Either one of those. Is there envy in your life? Um, that you need to lay down and just declare to God. Just say, God, if you've said you've accomplished it all, and that's enough for me. And if there's any of you guys who, you're not Christian in here, man, today would be a great day. Lay down your life. And as y'all take communion, uh, that's just a declaration to say, I surrender to Jesus or I've surrendered to Christ and His grace is enough for me. Let's pray.